Hey there, chocolate lovers. If you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast, you can find it on our Craft Chocolate TV YouTube channel. Welcome to another episode of Craft Chocolate TV. I'm with Chuck from Zorzal Cacao, a.k.a. Dr. Chuckles, and we are going to talk about quality cacao, um, Dominican Republic, and what his project is. We're going to have a really good conversation. So, I hear you like trees. Trees. I love trees. Can you like give, give us a little bit here about how you entered cacao with the backstory of trees? Because okay. I also like trees. Okay, great. Yeah. So um, I was in the Peace Corps um, at a college, and I was sent to a remote village in the Dominican Republic called Las Piesas, and um, it was a chocolate village. So I was very lucky to be sent to a chocolate village in the Dominican Republic. Um, I was an agroforestry volunteer, and my mission was essentially to work with communities around a protected area. Okay, so let, let's back up. You studied what, and the... Peace Corps said, your skills are good here because... Exact opposite. Okay. I studied anthropology, <laughs> and they were like, oh, you're... Will so I knew some <laughs> Spanish, and I worked in Latin America, and they're, and um, the Peace Corps does, they take people that have a certain skill set, whether it's Spanish or something else, and not necessarily put you in a place that exactly fits those skills. So I was an anthropology major, but I was willing to work in forestry. So I didn't know much about forestry, but I went to the Dominican Republic with the Spanish skills... And, was and stumbled in, upon a passion. Yeah, exactly. Um, so while I was there, I worked with communities around, in cocoa communities. And the mission was to really reduce deforestation in these protected areas. Right. And the irony here is cacao fits so well with agroforestry, yet it can also contribute to deforestation. Exactly. So there's some examples in Africa where it's contributed to deforestation through monoculture, basically planting one type of species. Right. And this is because the DR is such a huge producer of cocoa or cacao. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're go, go ahead. No, they're, so the DR, um, was there. So I went there for the Peace Corps and then got, um, yeah, fell in love with cocoa. Um, got my master's and PhD in forestry. So I work, um, in timber in the U S and cocoa in the Dominican Republic. Um, the DR is unique in many ways. So they're the top 10 producer of um, volume-wise cocoa in the world, but about 70% of the cocoa comes from West Africa. Right, so, so, so let's back up. So mm -hmm. 10, uh, okay, so top 10 producers of cocoa in the world mm -hmm. as like, and when we say cocoa, that means like raw cacao seeds that are dried and then sold. Yeah. Um, but it's the number one producer of organic cocoa. Exactly. So to compete with the, the global cocoa um, economy, they had to really differentiate themselves. So early on, what they did was they went for a niche market. They said, we can't compete with West Africa in volume, so we're going to do organic <laughs> certification and fair trade. So yep. the number one organic in the world and one of the top three of fair trade. So they, I mean, from historical perspective, one of the best things they did early on was they differentiated commodity cocoa. Right. With like value-add cocoa. They, they found their niche. <clears throat> and they did that early on. That being said... If we were to have, say, a Mars bar or something from Hershey's or, say, Lint, would that probably have some DR, some Dominican cacao in maybe, there? Maybe, maybe. But they would probably label it as organic. Where does it mostly go? Um, the DR goes to the commodity market, but the organic market. 
Okay. So that willingness to pay for maybe $300 more per ton. Okay. So so a ton at the moment is what? $2.50 yeah, a kilo? Ranges exactly. $2.50, $2.70 per kilo. Okay. So they're willing to pay about $3. Yeah. All right. So when I when I started um, my master's and PhD degree, um, I really was focused from my experience working in the Dominican Republic around conservation. So um, the majority of cocoa is grown around biodiversity hotspots around the world. So these poor areas areas produce the most biologically rich um, species in, in areas in the world. So I was focused on kind of a benefits transfer mechanism. How can we work with people that produce the most important biodiversity in the world, biodiversity hotspots? And when you say biodiversity hotspot, elaborate a little bit. Yeah, so that's where um, the biodiversity hotspots are the most um, rich and unique areas in the world that are most threatened. For species. For species, exactly. Yeah. Flora fauna. So we focused on a little species called the Bicknell's thrush. Uh-huh. So this little thrush flies thousands of miles every year from Vermont to the Dominican Republic. And so um, the the uh, the limiting factor of the species is the habitat in the DR. So a group of us got together, concerned about this species, and wanted to invest in protection of the species in the DR. So I was kind of the catalyst around it. We we did a lot of um, impact okay, assessments. Wait, wait, so let, let's back up again. Elevator pitch zorzal cacao. Okay. Just so everyone has an idea of what that means okay. before we start going into the thrush. Right. So we're an organic farm um, and bird sanctuary that essentially fi- finances conservation through selling to the craft chocolate space. Perfect. So we grow cocoa, we buy cocoa from neighboring farms, sell it to the craft chocolate space, um, and, and, and finance conservation through that. Okay. All right. That was a good elevator pitch. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> 30 seconds. That's what it's supposed to be. Exactly. Um, so long story short, um, we purchased the land. It's like a land trust approach, like the U S and that was a fantastic, um, accomplishment, but we got to the point where it was like, okay, how are we going to manage this and finance it? Right. So going into this, what was your business model? You knew that you wanted to do conservation. You knew that you had to figure out how to pay for it. Right. So there wasn't, we were so focused because it was kind of a pilot project for the country on getting to the point <clears throat> to buy the land. There was a lack of um, planning for actually how to finance it. Uh-huh. So luckily we were in the breadbasket of cocoa in the Dominican Republic. So we were able to um, look to cocoa. As a way to finance the Was it already there? Or it's something you planted? Well, it was in the region. It's a huge producer in the region. Um, there were some on the reserve. We planted about another 100 hectares. Um, in okay. Mm-hmm. On the reserve? Yes. 100 hectares is significant. Yeah. In acres, what is that? 250 acres? Yeah, two, approximately. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So that's more of like the state of Hawaii might not have that much right now. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, the model is used 30% of the land. To finance 100% of it. So 70% of the land is forever wild, conservation, and 30% is actually agroforestry, sustainable, organic production. But that's used to finance the forever wild area. Yeah. Great model. Love it. How big do you want to get? Well, I, I don't I'm think, jumping ahead yeah, here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like it's think, such a great concept and it's so important that I think replicating it is a necessity, not just in the DR, but around the world and you guys are starting to have a proof of concept and 
I know in some ways it has to be supported by craft chocolate, which is a little bit slow growing. Yeah. But on the other hand, like you guys have been growing yeah. over the last five years. When did when did this begin? So we started in two well the around two thousand twelve. So we've been doing this for about um, eight years. Um, the mission is not necessarily for us to do the more land trust approach and, and acquire more land to protect species, but to work with farmers um, and ex- replicate the model with other landowners. So that's what we've done. So there's now three private reserves. So we've gone up to 3,500 um, acres of protected area with yeah. other landowners. And we work with um, communities to buy beans from them, um, pay a great price, ferment and dry it, and sell it to the crowd. So you set up space. a post-harvest handling facility. Yes. So we have a fermentary as well. What's your capacity? Um, we could do about 200 tons. All right. That's so a lot. It's, it's a lot for the craft chocolate space, but we're the, we're the smallest producer in the Dominican Republic. Wow. Crazy. But you have the best quality. Well, I think I, we're, we're trying. Yeah. yeah. So. I think you do. I've seen some of what else the Dominican Republic produces. I haven't seen everything, um, not even close, but by and large, you guys are actually targeting craft chocolate, whereas none of the other ones are in the same way. Yeah. Like you're trying to do the very best you can, and that's just an attention to all the little details that our, our um, niche of chocolate yeah. demands. Well, I think we're in, in an exciting time right now. I think... Um, you see these kind of waves of um, different markets. And the last one was the organic fair trade. And now we're seeing the craft. So we, it's, it's, a, it's a good opportunity. Um, and we're in a good space right now. Where is most of it going? So the majority, all of it goes to the craft um, chocolate space. And majority of it goes to um, craft chocolate makers like Raka, Dandelion, Manoa. Um, and... and so I would say our largest buyer takes about 25, 30 tons, which is, which is very small for the commodity market. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what, that's two containers. Yeah, exactly. Um, Who's your favorite buyer? Definitely not Dandelion Charlie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, So <clears throat> I would say the, the advantage of being in the DR is that they have an industry there. So there's um, something we can – there's a lot – there's fermentaries, there's drying tunnels, um, there's things that we can use to our advantage, but there's a lot of competition as well. Right. And so I know that one of the things you guys did recently in order to try and improve quality is you guys built a, um, a drying facility that's not where you guys are doing the majority of the farming just so that you can get uh, a better drying, um, what, down to like 6 to 8%, yeah. whereas you were struggling to do that before yeah. in the wetter area. So the vision was to um, dr- ferment and dry where we grew the cocoa at Reserve Reserve. Great, great vision. It doesn't yeah. always pan out. And that was the idea, exactly. But we're in a, um, a literally a rainforest at Reserve Reserve. So <clears throat> the challenge with that is that gr- cocoa grows okay. Um, it ferments okay, but it's really difficult to dry. It reminds me so much of um, Hilo and the Hamakua Coast on the Big Island. Yeah. Just yep. wonderful growing conditions. No one needs to irrigate at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just can't try it. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, like I'm laughing. It's sad. It's just an irony. Yeah. No. And I think there's a lot of parallels um, with Hilo and <clears throat> the Dominican Republic. And speaking with Colin, who's done some work there, you know, what we both did actually is we moved the, the post-harvest processing right to different locations. And that's so exactly what he we were trying to, well. you know, force heat and dry and do all these kind of crazy 
innovations. Um, yeah, what, what it's are you a lot more cost. Like, this is something that's really well, interesting to me because it's a we're going to go through it. It's oh, not, no, it's not like, great. It, um, <laughs> we had this amazing um, the innovative. system where we took chicken heaters um, and we installed them in our drying tunnel. And um, it was pretty much ludicrous. Like we would force hot air down on these beans, try to dry them. It worked. We did okay the first year. The second year, it rained so much. It was like not one sunny day during the drying time. Um, it didn't work. But... Um, you know, those are like the early days, the scrappy days. We're just trying to figure it out. Uh-huh. So then we finally realized, okay, let's buy five acres in the lower elevation, 45 minutes away from the farm, away from the reserve, and um, have our post-processing facility there. And things have started to work much yeah, better. Yeah, huh? so much easier. So we have yeah, access not to fighting roads, weather. not fighting weather. Um, we have uh, a bar as well, top for a fermentary, oh, uh, which is always fun to, to, to finish the tour. Uh-huh. Um, and so... Yeah, no, it's been it's been a journey for sure. I think. How'd you that, finance that from my dream? I think I think the interesting <laughs> um, issue is patience, right? The craft chocolate space is not as big as people think, so growing in parallel with the craft chocolate space is, I think. Um, okay, so I've got something to add to that because yeah. we actually did an episode on this, and everyone thinks there's not enough good quality cacao or cocoa to supply the craft chocolate market Mm. and that's just not true because it was so much easier for you to set up a hundred hectares to immediately start producing good quality beans than it was for craft chocolate to start with like one bag and then go to two bags and then go to four bags and then go to eight bags over x number of years and so for you to produce a hundred tons wasn't that hard relative to a craft chocolate maker trying to scale into a market that is asking a much higher price and trying to explain why. Yeah. Yeah. And the beans, um, five years ago, I would say six years ago, there wasn't that many good quality beans. There was some, right? Right. It, it was Madagascar. A, a bean supplier market yes. to a chocolate buyer's yeah. market, so chocolate maker secret. buyer market. I used to make chocolate. Oh, I didn't know that. So like 10 years ago... Quiet over there on the set. <laughs> I made the best chocolate in the world, but I thought that's where I wanted to be. But what was I realized, the name of your product? I realized there's how a lot of heckling audience in, in this craft chocolate. Well, I, what was I, the I name of I mean, like I you just said you made man. chocolate ten years ago. Oh, what gosh, was the name of your product? So <laughs> the the name of the company was okay. It was Kirshner Artisan Chocolate. That's how you But there the was name? a brand <laughs> called Carlito Special Sauce that we will not talk about. <laughs> it happened to be a chocolate, um, hot chocolate. And we, and, and, um, let's move on from that. <laughs> um, so, but to your point, it was, I, it was, people couldn't find beans 10 years ago. There was some, I think Lared from the Dominican Republic's one of the first. Yeah, I remember. And um, that was one of the first. So we're, the reason I decided ago. to get into beans is because I, there was a, um, it was being supply constrained. So I went into the, the bean market thinking that's where really from my experience with the DR, I work with the dissertation, that's where I wanted to be. And that worked out okay. Because there's a lot of competition even 10 years ago in the bean bar thing. People, it was becoming popular. Yes, 2010 was a certain special year for whatever reason. There was a lot of the brands that are now still around and growing was yeah starting in 2000 exactly and that's when you kind of like left and said you know what i need to supply them we literally left so i went down my family we lived in the dominican republic um to start the project um so we lived there for a couple of years and um got the project off the ground 
Okay. So now that you've you've been growing and scaling over the last 10 years, 8 years? Yeah, 10 years. I mean, the work. So the thing about emerging markets, especially like a private reserve in the Dominican Republic and a bird sanctuary, we did like four years of research before oh, we even the land was purchased. Scientists. Yeah, exactly. We had to publish <laughs> papers and do all these other things. So I would say even starting in 2006 is when we started. Wow. Okay. And then 2000, around 10 was when the land was purchased. Okay. So now some of the biggest challenges you've faced and you see facing over the, the coming years. Yeah. What, what would that look like? What are some of the, in fact, let's, let's do initially, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced? And we've kind of touched on them yeah. a little bit here. All right. So let's talk it like at the micro, micro level. That's what we're Was at. actually <laughs> like the farm. Like people that are like, I want to invest in a farm and plant trees while something maybe romantic is very difficult. So we had no road. So just building the road was extremely difficult. Oh, I mean, there was we're like. We're going through this right now on our own farm yeah. here in Hawaii. Yeah, and it's so, really difficult to build a road. It's without especially money. when you're without money and you're working with the government and you're working with um, just really basically taking a little like goat path and trying to build something that a container can get to and haul out cocoa beans. So um, that was challenging, and that took. And there is a road now that took about ten years, um, like a paved road. It is paved up until only like a mile away from the farm. Fancy, I can't believe it. So that was, took a lot of like community effort. And political will to um, to get that done. Okay, so so access. So access is huge. Um, challenges of um, you don't have to varietals. Irrigate. We don't have to irrigate. That's so nice. we get about two thousand five hundred millimeters a year. Got to translate that to inches, but good rainfall. We're in a rainforest. Um, then the clonal selection and just managing a farm in general is is challenging and it's expensive. How many employees do you have there? So we have. About eight full-time employees. And then seasonally, we have people, you know, to work on harvest. or Okay, so you'd bring in quite a few more people when it's harvest time. Yeah, exactly. Like double? Yeah, like double. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a challenge. I think from there, it's really figuring out, okay, so you're in the Dominican Republic and people haven't really eaten much of their own chocolate that they produce. So something that they see as quality may not be what Manoa sees as quality. Uh-huh. So what we did there is we had a lot of um, exchanges. So we went, we had our, our team go to the U.S. multiple times, do an internship at Dandelion Chocolate. Um, we went to um, FCCI at Harvard and presented a lot of exchanges so people can understand how consumers in the right. U.S. perceive chocolate. Well, it's not just producing a commodity that's like producing you know, like a tire that everything's equal. It's actually something that people are willing to pay something, how they, how they perceive it, how they taste it. And that's done wonders. And yeah, not only really us going idea. to the U.S., but people coming to the Dominican Republic. So we do trips every year. Um, in 2019, pre-COVID, we did five trips. And these are groups of like 10 or 20 people. And that does wonders of just exchanging the values of, of, of an amazing product that tastes fantastic and should be valued much more than it is in the commodity market. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that is what craft chocolate is all about. And I've said it so many times before on this, uh, on craft chocolate TV is 90% of the quality is the beans. Yeah. And so we have to just make sure, make sure our suppliers, um, are our friends and we work really closely yeah. with them so that we know what we're going to get is going to be good. So we don't have to like 
sort rocks out and yeah. discard moldy bags yeah. of beans. Yeah. That's just something we can't even deal with. Yeah. So that really happens with perception. So when producers see like what consumers want, and consumers also go to the origin and understand what yeah. those difficulties, then it's then it becomes a lot more real for both parties. So it's not just a supplier like meeting these requirements. It's also the producer um, or the consumer going there and, and doing trainings. Okay, this is why we want to take out the placenta of, of you know of the pods. Which and, we got to explain what that is. Yeah, that sounded weird. Um, Do you want to crack this open with your head? No. <laughs> Give me a knife. So we have to show up right now. Um, Let's see. So there's been training to be done on site to to say, okay, when a chocolate maker gets how much, like, would you say a manoa's waste? When you say waste, when you, you get mean? beans, maybe not the beans you get right now, but maybe tradition, like typically, what is what is a wasteful? Um, how small of a knife is this? Best we're gonna. That's what we're going to do at the moment. Um, we have very little waste right, but because I'm, of who we work with. Right. Which is Zorzel we've, Cacao. We've, yes, we do work with Zorzel. And I think, doesn't Costa Esmeralda have a bunch of waste? Uh, <laughs> They're freaking beautiful. And Coco, Coco Crap Camille is another uh, brand. We will talk about them. Um, okay, so... I totally butchered this because I have a tiny knife. But essentially, you have... <laughs> it's an average-sized knife. 50 beans or so in here. This is actually really nice um, sugar content on the outside. So um, this is what we call... They call it the heart in the Dominican, or the placenta, which essentially attaches... Um, all the beans are attached to this, okay? So they grow I, uh, from this. I'll put some B-roll in here while you're talking about it. Some what? Some oh, see, we talked about it being white seed. Yeah, yeah okay. white seed. This is nice. Yeah, Can I have one? It's unbelievable. Um, there is one. So, it is white. I've never seen a Creole this big. Tatanga. Yeah, it's a beast. Tatanga. It tastes good. Hmm. Mm. Anyways, so, anything from nails to shoes. Oh, we found all kinds of things. <laughs> like dried beetles. Right. Like candy wrappers. Sure. Cigarette butts, whatever. Yeah, found a like, frog in Coco Camille beans once. Oh, really? Wow. That's weird that like, you found that in Coco Camille. An actual quality. frog? I mean, it was dead. It was very, very dead. I bet it was all it dried been out. Like, it had been like traveled across the ocean in a container and frozen for a year. And like, it was a very <laughs> dead frog. But there it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, um, what was the point of our, our conversation <laughs> around waste? That's what you started talking about. No, you said, what reason. is Manoa's waste? And, like, as, okay, so commodity must have an insane amount of waste because when we bought beans from Greg oh, once... that's what I was going. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <Hey. laughs> so, to my point, the, the, what, what I'm saying about exchanges, right? So, it's, always, it's typically like you make your buyer happy. But if the producer doesn't understand what that really means... And there's not this exchange, then then you probably never get that. So so th- this hey, is we, why what's the crinkling over here? This is why it's so important that you and I see eye to eye, and you know what a chocolate maker wants because we can't be our eyes are not on the farm, right. and if we're seeing actual placenta and rocks and cigarette butts and stuff yeah. like that, we're just never going to buy again. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be interesting if you guys um, discussed how you. Um, how you evaluate quality in cocoa because I know it's very We've similar. got very different 
Chuck and I it's very frustrating. have very different ways of evaluating <laughs> cacao. And uh, Chuck approaches this scientifically. I go almost entirely off of taste. And with, feel. And, and wizard, feel. Apparently. Yes. And I'm quite good at it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you make fantastic chocolates. You actually are. The challenge is, though, so actually, let's get into this a little bit. You know, it it doesn't actually, like, feel and smell don't really apply in the same way as taste. So almost entirely, it's taste. But there's indicators, and it's real. If it looks moldy, chances are it's not going to be good 90 plus percent of the time. And if you go in and you stick your hand in and you squeeze it and they're solid as rocks, chances are... It's not going to be good. Right. So these but are just the indicators. But I think the stuff is all of this rock and it's really good. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. So the challenge it doesn't is always apply. You're what you're doing for your quality control. How do I translate that to nine tons? Right. So that's what I was trying to talk about. Cut tests and the more traditional approaches, so we can be on the same page. You got to eat more of them raw. After they're they're fermented and dried, you got to eat them raw. Um, experiment it with different drying protocols or turning protocols, and I'm sure you've done that yeah, so I'm many times. Them, yeah. Like you've done two, two, two. You've done uh, so when I. <laughs> that's geeky. Um, <laughs> no, what he's talking about is the rotation of boxes. We've done those tests with with um, temperature readers. Um, we've had them um, sampled and tested and done comparisons. That's how we came up with our design of our fermenter. Right. So okay. I were to say, Chuck, I really want super fruity acidic beans. What turning protocol would you do in order to insert acetic acid in there? Yeah, okay. So I would actually focus a little bit more on the drying. Okay, so fermentation happens in the drying is really a continuation of that spectrum of fermentation. So fermentation takes that sugar. Okay, so all these beans are covered in this amazing sugar. Okay. And these microorganisms or yeast, when you put these in wooden boxes, starts eating all that sugar. They're hungry. Okay. You start rotating that. Um, it turns into ethanol in like day two. And you can smell like, you can smell the ethanol. It's potent. And then we do a, um, a, a two-day, two-day, one-one. All right. Okay? And why? Um, it's through, So we've experimented. We feel like that um, the yeast... Um, anaerobic process and then the ethanol is better slower rotations but then once the acidic acid ethanol turns acidic acid and speeds up it's better to rotate it because you're later in the fermentation so you okay. go two days two days and then you speed it up and then you bring it out of the box when you bring it out of these wooden boxes after day six okay it's still hot and the acidic acid is still um, volatilizing okay so you're it's still leaving the bean and the worst thing you can well if you want acidic beans, you dry a little bit faster. Right. It locks it okay, in. Okay. It locks it in. Exactly. If it locks in too quickly, though, um, you're going to have poor quality. Like, like Coco like, Camille? Like Tannic. <laughs> or lactic. Yeah. Like Coco Camille. Exactly. Which, which I absolutely love. <laughs> well, you're the only one. It's like, uh, you know. <laughs> um, I, I think anyways, it's wonderful. So, <laughs> so what I would do if you Coco want to say... beans. <laughs> So if you want acidic beans, I would I would um, fa- do a faster dry. What we do to slow the dry so it can volatilize is actually put a, like a, a tarp over the beans in the drying process. Yeah, to stage like, the drying. Exactly. You can it. So we do like um, maybe four days of sun the first day, tarp, and then the second day we do like six hours of sun, 
you know, tarps the rest, and then it's eight hours of sun. And then yeah. after day three, That's very, it's, it's, it's very common with the better producers here in Hawaii. Yeah, is to do that same process. All right, so he's we, insinuating Zorzal the better producer. We we have a um, not so surprising guest that I'd like to bring on at this point. Oh no, <laughs> Greg. I'm sorry. Is it is it is it my time? Is it is it is it my time? Is it and, my, is it... and what I want you to talk to us about is actually. Hi guys. Hi. Hi. This is my first time here. First time, first time listener, many time caller. Is that, no, <laughs> it does go something like that. But you ready, Carson? So you have gone to the Dominican Republic to visit Chuck multiple M- times. Mostly to visit the farm. Chuck just happens to be there. Uh-huh. And you go, you know, consult, obviously. Mm, I mostly go. Yeah. <laughs> and you do tours. And yeah. there, we've heard nothing but great things about him. In fact, um, Carson and, and Rob have gone down to the Dominican Republic, loved the experience. This is something that you bring a lot of dandelion people down with you. Can you guys like kind of break down your guys' tours that you do, experiences? Because this is not a very common thing in cacao. Everyone loves to go visit a winery and the vineyard. This is kind of the equivalent except in the tropics. And so what does your guys' experience look like when you invite people down to your farm? Let me start. (laughs) <laughs> well, first they they come for Zorzal cacao and Danny Lang does these like little like you know advertising things and they're like oh Zorzal cacao and then they kind of, and I'm like well you gotta sign up with Danny Lang like, you, you, you need a marquee name in there like, Zorzal that, cacao that, that, like, Lang, who? Um, but I now will turn over the mic which you will hear from to Greg um, no but they have been so from Zorzal's experience they've been amazing in helping us connect with um, Coke, um, chocolate makers but because when they come and they experience what the, we're really doing as far as a mission in our cocoa process, it turns into sales for us. It's a yep. great experience. I think it's great for expanding the brand um, and get letting people know more about what we're doing and chocolate in general, where it comes from. Yeah. I, I'm, you let people stick their hands in the pulp and oh yeah, turn beans and everything. Absolutely. And go to the beach. Enjoy some because, of it, but work because hard. Because most chocolate makers are not based in the tropics, which is where almost all cacao comes from. Exactly. And so if you're in San Francisco and you get to go bury your hand in a ferment, it's a really neat experience because yeah. we've all been familiar with the finished bar, the finished product. But no one, almost no one knows about this fruit yeah. or the fact that we're talking about the placenta where all the seeds right. are connected to. And it's like something we've all eaten. So... Yeah. And, and and I would say like the ve- I I still remember the very first time I ever tasted. I'm sorry, wine. Yes, please. Oh. I mean, like there's an empty glass. I just feel like this. Is I have a- an empty glass. Oh, oh, okay. Do you want to bring it in? Just bring it in. Thank you. Um, should I wait until H- we? Hard to beat maybe. New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, in the right. Shop. Good job. Oh, like they're just such it, good it value. Makes, it, like, such we, good flavor and value. We were just, just talking to it. Eric from uh, from um, po- uh, Poly Road. Oh yeah, Whiskey. Old Poly Road, Cola Distillery. Um, and he was saying that like it was interesting that when he first came to Hawaii, he didn't like Corona, and then when he had a Corona <laughs> in Hawaii, with, he was like with oh, a this... lime on the beach, and he's but like, yeah, exactly. He's this like works. this fits, and like it's just it's funny so is the same thing is totally true with like eating cocoa, um, or even eating chocolate in the tropics. The temperature. Like, you know, the well, sort of terroir. Like, all of these things change your experience of it, you know? And, like, usually for the better. You know, like, um, I don't like Corona that much at night, mm-hmm. but during the day, if you're or at you're the hot, beach yeah. and it's hot, it's so refreshing with a lime. 
I yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sauvignon Blancs for New Zealand. <laughs> well, and, and the, so the thing I was going to say is, I like, I remember the first time I ever tried, a, like, a fresh cocoa bean and tried the pulp. And it's like a life-changing experience. Because it tastes like something, nothing like you've ever had before. And this is that part of the reason... That got me into cacao. Exactly. It got me into chocolate it, it, was trying that It pulp. got me obsessed with cacao, right? Like... And um and I think the same is true for all of the people we bring out to farms. It's like th- there are these experiences that are unique. And if you live in the U.S. outside of Hawaii, if you live in the mainland U.S., shall I say, <laughs> um, you don't, you never get the experience of trying it. And and like there's something about being in a hot, you know, like like rainforest cocoa farm in the Dominican Republic, getting a pot off the tree, cracking it open, and tasting it, and you're just like, wow. Yeah. There, there's like yeah it's, it's candy people have no idea how amazing that pulp is right and yeah. that's why we can't wait to show everybody the oh yeah the, the, well never mind we're not going to talk about that no, I think we should there. actually yeah, it's going to be so good interesting about so when we were talking about the DR and like West Africa producing commodity the DR getting into like organic and fair trade and now we're in craft chocolate and craft cocoa I think the next stage is these byproducts yeah in like right. Manoa I gotta say, you, you do cocoa not a tea. Sales pitch. You go to totally. cocoa tea, but which is not, a byproduct. It's not a Absolutely. sales pitch. Yeah. The Manoa um, cocoa wine, you want to call it? I, yeah, I, I, cacao, I, cacao wine, cacao wine was the best I've ever had. It's amazing. Yeah, so I, I think when we look, yeah, and that's forward, one different take. That's more like cider, and so there's just so much potential with that. So that's where I'm going. I think like as we expand, we're gonna get more and more vertical, and like there's gonna be more opportunity to craft cocoa bean space but for Zorzel we're looking for more opportunities well and that's exactly what we saw it as is an Um, opportunity for cocoa farmers or or processors to have an additional income stream from a product that's so good it's amazing people don't even realize it but you can see why it never made it to market until potentially now because in the tropics you have to be able to strain it and pasteurize it and make sure it gets frozen and vacuum seal it and all these things it's not an easy thing to do if you're out in the wilderness like in the middle of nowhere we have um, we work with um, uh, we work with a company out of Honduras that does all that um, direct cacao that produces pulp and they pasteurize it and they bag it but it's like yeah every tenth bag explodes because the pasteurization didn't kill off enough of the microorganisms in it or something. And so um they that, ran out of propane, couldn't keep the heat going. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, like it like we we I mean, we when when we had a cafe open for drinks, we had it um uh we had a, a just a smoothie made out of the pulp. And in Brazil it's very popular. Brazil the pulp has is been super popular just as a as an as like you know, like instead of an acai bowl, you would have like a cacao pulp bowl. I've it's never had that, but I so good. I can only imagine it's and amazing. Like, I haven't done any of the detail look into it, but I, I believe Gino from Meridian Cacao told me that they did a lot of the like analytics on it, and it's like you know high in antioxidants. It's got like all these right, great qualities. Vitamin C. And- exactly. So this is kind of unique here. We have two premier chocolate makers in a cocoa producer. So I have a question for you guys. I'll bring it on. Mm-hmm. So for people looking <laughs> to start a um, he feels like he's about to get picked on. Or, 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 or a cocoa farm, you know, and they want to sell it to the craft chocolate oh, yeah. space. You know, what's how should they start, or should they start? Mm. Should they? Um, it's not a good time right now, as we were mm. just saying, because yeah. it's a bean buyer market. However, there's a like there's time that must be established in order to actually produce that. Yeah. 
So who knows what's it going to look well, like in two years? If like if dandelion triples in size in two years or quadruples, yeah, yeah. or manoa quadruples in size, all yeah, of a sudden yeah. there might be a shortage, yeah. which would be wonderful, so, which we all want to see but, again. But but I would say, if I may, yeah, um, I would say, it, like it's like any other business. You have to do you have to do an assessment and analysis of your market. Um, it's just and very new, so it, it's hard it, to go off of like path history. It, totally, but I but I think I think. So one of the questions is like, what makes the cocoa you're producing unique? Yeah, you so, know, and sometimes so, it's, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to yeah, brass yeah. tacks there. So like, if a producer, you know, I get this question all the time: Are they buying the story? And how I look at it, and how I think, and I love your opinion here. I think the Zorzal story, Zorzal story is unique. We have this fantastic, interesting well, conservation you're, you're model. Also the first to come up with this model, which I'm very passionate about. Which is why I was I jumped Same. on it even like, Same. yeah I, I just absolutely loved what you're setting up right but you had but that's not why you also back. Chuck just kept on calling me yeah <laughs> it was actually very system. difficult but, to, but like, this is yeah, interesting because people so NGOs I'm just that, kidding don't keep on calling things. me no, no, no. Say it has to have an interesting story but I think that's a, what may initiate the buy but maybe you guys come back because I think they, are you, you know, trying to get us to say your cocoa tastes good is that what you're trying to say well for people go out there starting a business. You have to have a story, yeah. but the story is not going to sustain you. Like you have to have great cocoa for people to come back and buy. I think we've stopped buying from multiple sources because the supplier slipped. Mm. And so if you can't rely as a chocolate maker on your suppliers, then you can't continue to sell your great quality chocolate. Yeah. So we work with you because we know that you're going to be consistent. And if something doesn't make sense, I can call you on the phone and say, hey, yeah, what yeah. the heck happened here? Like your and evaluation of uh, you know, trying that one bean? Well, there's probably <laughs> five. But, but yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and I, I know that you're going to be there and be like, hey, this is what happened. It rained a little bit too much, so it didn't dry as well, but it should be fine. Which if you want a different actually, lot... You let us know. So we, we changed our fermentary that year. We had a bad, honestly, um, production. So we, we went from the reserve, fermenting and drying, to the uh, the new location. Right. And I, I remember, remember you called me and you're like, it's not hitting there. I'm like, oh, no. you know. And so we, we were able to dialogue about it, figure out a solution, change the protocol, and adjust. But, but I think, but I think th- to some degree, this helps answer your question, which is like, I think a lot of the cocoa producers who have become successful today such as Cocoa Camille, um, all joking aside, very great beans, very successful producer. <laughs> Love them. Ignore <laughs> Chuck's face. Give, give some other, give some other. Um, no, seriously. So yeah, Esmeralda, Co- Cocoa Camille. Um, Maya um, Mountain. Uncommon, Maya Mountain. Yeah, yeah. So Maya Mountain Cacao, um, really awesome cacao. Um, uh, Bertil Atkinson's farm in Madagascar. Um, I think one of the things I, that I they... I like Robin's stuff in Peru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ukiyali. Ukiyali is great, great so cocoa. Oh, good. Consistently. So yeah, there's um, a lot, actually, now. There, there's, there's too many. There's, there's new <laughs> there's cocoa we're looking at right now from um, Indonesia, um, Ransiki, um, which we're uh, pretty excited about. But enough about um, the producers. Back to the main point. <laughs> well, but but, the, but the, reason, the reason I was... The re- <laughs> you, oh, you don't want other names out there. Is that what? What? And, uh, yeah, um, but but, but the, the thing that I was going to say is that, like, I think all of them found chocolate makers who are willing to sort of talk to them about, is this good? Is this bad? Is this working? Is this not working? Right. Coco Camille had Mass Brothers, and Mass Brothers did a fantastic job of working with them either. and giving them feedback, you know. Um, uh, and and so I think, and, you know, Zorzal had, I guess you had us, um, you might have, and, and you had... 
Who else were you working with early on? Rocka early oh, on. And and Hummingbird. And Hummingbird. Yeah. Right. Um and so and so part of it is if you're going to start trying to make cocoa, understand it's a business, but also understand like who who are you going to and like who's gonna be the chocolate maker who's gonna sort of help you understand the does this make good chocolate so, side okay, of the Okay, let's equation. take that though from uh seems like a one on one. Let's take that to scale, right? Because we're on we you talked about it before we started. We are all interested, interested if we're going to make an impact in scale. So yeah. that might be interesting for Greg no, to, no, no. Talk, to talk to me. But how do we – if we're going to scale up and grow well, but, things, it's not going to be Dylan but, and Chuck talking as much. Like we, like how do we make it grow to but, scale? But, but this is my point. This, this is the way most businesses work is you start by having – or I would say in, in, in most tech businesses, right? You, you have an idea for a product. You find a you find a customer who sort of helps you develop said product, and then once you have a great product, you can bring it to market. And so you need those. And so I'm not saying that this is like you just work with somebody. I'm saying this is the product development side of things. But you have to look at cocoa as a product development. Yeah, it's not agriculture. It's product. And you know. So you're you're developing the infrastructure for say a long long term gain uh, game with multiple suppliers. So I work with you because I know that. On a not, it's more than just a business relationship. It's a friendship where I know that I can call you and say, "Hey, this might not look as good. Why?" And you're going to be like, "Oh, tell me more, and we're going to fix it." Yeah. Not that, that, not to say that's ever happened, yeah. but I just know that there's a trust involved, and I right. think this is more of a human Feedback. thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I always tell the the story about um the very first lot of cocoa we bought from Zorzal, um where uh. Oh, you remember this. Where, oh, your book, too. Yeah, actually, it is in our book. Um, where we basically said, um, so Chuck is like, we're getting about four tons off of this private reserve bird sanctuary. Um, and I said, sure, we'll take four tons of cacao. And he sent it to a local fermenter, Oko Caribe, who still makes great cocoa. And But they took the cocoa and they said, great, here's cocoa and we'll just blend it with all the other cocoa we have. Ouch. And so Chuck calls me up on a Wednesday afternoon and says... Hey, you know that Zorzal cocoa you were going to buy? Turns out it's just kind of gotten mixed with a bunch of other cocoa. So I can sell you cocoa that is like half Zorzal cocoa. But the fact that he didn't just... That's that's exactly why we will continue to work with someone like you. Because you know that there's a level of trust. Yeah. yeah. Look at this. We're praising, heaping praise oh on Oh my gosh, Chuck. I'm getting to... On, this on last your... about 20 <laughs> seconds, maybe. Yeah, it's over. It's over. Uh, now we're done. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's change right. the topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, we're so... Like, the... You've got great questions. Keep no, going. I know. I, I just think about scale all the time. Because, like, what, what are we doing? We're, we're do... I think we're making an impact. So I definitely feel like in the northern mountain range of the Dominican Republic, transparency, we're making an impact. I really do. It's but, not but just there. Just, no, hold but, on. That's but, where I'm going. Okay. Like, and maybe in like San Francisco and like some of the plays you, you work with, like you're making an impact and same with here in Hawaii. But I think like us as entrepreneurs and wanting to make a social environmental impact, we want to like grow more. The problem is I just, it, it, the market's not just maybe too anxious. It's not growing fast enough. But, 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 but what maybe, about, what about all of yeah, the, yes and no. so, it mm-hmm. just depends on who's growing. Like yeah. I talked to a priori yeah. and a priori is like the, the premier cocoa, um, wholesaler or sorry, chocolate wholesaler for craft chocolate in the, the United dis- States. They're the main they're distributor like, for the yeah. U S and they're the fastest growing distributor in craft if, chocolate yeah. in the world. If you're a store and you want to carry craft chocolate, go to a priori. Yeah, they're they doing do a great, great job. job delivering. Yeah. And so they've been growing 
by a lot just because they the see orders. the demand yeah. and not just online actual stores so yeah. what, what sells Around better the United dark States? chocolate or like like um sea that's salt a, that's a good question okay that's that's depending on your market right so if, when people come into our factory we retail more of the hawaiian sea salt and the the one with yeah your, your tours are much more focused on the hawaiian right. cocoa Yes, and the Hawaiian chocolate bars. Now, when we sell to a distributor or a wholesale account, we've created bars that just, we saw the demand was a lot greater for what we call our Flavors of Hawaii bar, which is where we mix in lily koi, which is passion fruit or maracuja, or like coconut, um, banana. These are the things that sell a lot better Mm. as far as the bigger market, despite the fact that we want to sell single origin craft chocolate and say, right. taste this Dominican Republic yeah. bar yeah, at seventy yeah. percent yeah. next to this Ecuador bar next so, to this Hawaiian a, a bar. Young, but, a young version kind of chocolate maker, would you suggest that they not focus on the best? No, no, you can still bar? do that. Yeah, but you've got to accept that yeah, if you want to stay in business want. and make chocolate, you yeah. must make other products yeah. that actually sell better. You mm-hmm. can't get so hung up. On what you're doing to the point where you don't stay in business. Don't be if you like what you're yeah. doing. My, my, don't my, be the my, my favorite example of this is 5150. Tyler, an amazing Love chocolate that maker. Guy. He's amazing. He's the best, right? No, like, he really does. Like, he, what he an makes, awesome character. He, he makes, he's listening right now. You haven't no, called him like, back, but, Tyler. He's, he's hanging <laughs> I'm trying to sell him Zorzal right now. He's hanging out with his chickens like Tristan and his snake. But 5150 took white chocolate, added some. Some made it look green, added some rice oh, crispies, made it look like weed. and made it look like weed, right? And he sells these bags of white chocolate with rice krispies that look like weed for a lot of money. And his attitude, like when I talk to him about it, is like great because every once in a while these guys throw in a single origin bar and then they learn a little bit about chocolate. And the fact that he's selling this sort of like novelty chocolate, hey, you got to make money. To grow the business, and if what you're selling to make, like, and if and if you you end up finding yeah, a niche that allows you to grow, that's great. And like, and so I love that he accepted that and didn't think like, well, what I want really want to make is like really good single origin chocolates, and like I don't want to sell this other stuff. I think he was very reasonable about it. He was very practical about it, and I really appreciate that about sort of where he came from. Yeah, you know? and now as he's a growing chocolate maker That's who exactly. continues to buy yep. larger quantities of beans. Yeah. Yep, totally. So, And I mean not from Zorzal, but from like other very <laughs> yeah, good yeah, yeah, Tyler, you're going down. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Um, so Hawaii. Um, super interested in, in the... Um, the, Sorry, is, is Chuck doing the interview now? I that, feel like I, I yeah, we, we switched. Oh, oh, okay, I didn't realize this. As long as he keeps okay. doing well, a good job, we're gonna... here's the deal. So I feel that's like that's what I said about him too, and then I was, stopped doing a my, job. My, I came to Hawaii um, <laughs> for the Hawaii Chocolate and Cocoa Association. It's oh, three, three years ago. Yeah, and I was literally blown away. You were not literally at, blown no, away. No, I that literally was. You were actually blown. No, because not figuratively. I literally. Oh, you were literally blown away. You were, it's my body literally predominant trade winds are oh, okay. strong. Okay. Well, what happened? Yeah, Maybe it was a Kona wind day. Yeah. Not mm. figuratively, literally. Mm. Blown away. <laughs> um at the scale, I've never seen the cocoa focus anywhere in the world as much as Hawaii because the scale is so small. Okay, so we went to like a they're like, we're gonna go to a cocoa farm. I'm like, yeah. here we go. We're working with we gotta produce we're like, with a really small we're producing idea. like um <laughs> 
400 tons this cocoa farm. <laughs> because that's what the market's done. No, there's and no cocoa. Hold on. No, no, no. That's what I'm thinking in my head. Oh. <laughs> because yeah, like... from the Dominican Republic, that's not the commodity, right? Because we're now the VR is the organic fair trade value add market where we're the small guys and we produce, you know, a good farm produces a couple hundred tons. So I'm thinking this is like we're going to go to a farm. There was like 10 trees. So yes. while while you don't get the production, <laughs> the huge advantage and the parallel I'm trying to make here is like you are establishing the future that like nobody else has done because you can like the detail of this clone, this clone, this graft and understanding, yes, it's going to be slow growth right. and nobody's going to make money off the beans itself. There, there's some real benefits to the way we're starting. So I think it's, it's huge in the marketplace. We have first world infrastructure. Yeah. We have the university. Uh, we also have some serious expertise and that's going to allow. And lastly, there's no real disease. Yeah. If I may, though. Go on. Um, I think one of the things I love about Hawaii is cocoa here is $25,000 a ton, $30,000 a ton, somewhere thereabouts. We can round off at twenty-five at the moment. Sure. Okay. So let's say $25,000 a ton. Hold on. Times. Your invoice that's 10 times. <laughs> I fold. No, exactly. But, but, uh, but this is my... Uh, but this is... Oh. No, oh, you're instructing great. me to tell me to keep going. Well, is that I, was I'm that? Okay. To my point. You guys are need to arm wrestle here a little bit. <laughs> keep going to your point. Hopefully, um, it feeds into mine. Yeah, excellent. Um, you're right. It's ten times the commodity price. And so, the thing that I think is great about Hawaii is it proves that people can pay more for a cocoa. This is if it's retailed and wholesaled at the right price. But but but, but that's all you need. You need a proof you're of right. concept. So that you can say, hey, so 25000 a ton is not so crazy So I'm going to go talk. on a little bit of a tangent here. And because yeah. we have such a strong retail store. And we're yeah. getting into our flies. We're, yeah. <laughs> By the way, we're an amazing Manoa small house. And if you haven't shown, shown the tiny house, tiny house. It's, it's, okay. It's, it's a nice spot. Um, retail. We have such a strong retail opportunity and presence attached to our factory that we are able to split the profits with a farm or the farmer that we work with if the farm is small enough. And so instead of them getting, you know, $11 a pound or $25 a kilo or whatever it works out to, they're getting three times that or four times that because we split the profits oh, that's awesome. with them. That's amazing. Wait, can you and dig so, into that Dig into that model a little bit more? Because you, you, you do that you too with those profits with Zorzal as, as well. No, but... Okay, besides the jokes of Greg, <laughs> yeah, that's a super innovative model because usually it's you buy the beans and I make the, you know, my upside. Talk a little yeah, bit so about that structure. In, in this case, this was this was Tammy, my wife Tammy, really wanted to. Tammy sitting over there, that's where she is where Dylan's looking. It's a revenue exactly. share model. It's a revenue share model. And the idea was to help develop our industry. We really wanted to see more cacao planted and processed well. And we only do it from farmers that not only do we think do a good job, but we also like. And yeah. so we want to see this spread in the right way. And I and I have to say, every single one of the Hawaiian bars that you make is mind-blowingly awesome. They, like, they are the, incredible this is the first year, chocolate. 2020 was the first yeah, but, year that was but, able to dude, happen. Dude, which is really incredible awesome. chocolate. So, like, so, incredible chocolate. So yeah, it, here's, I'm going to bring really this home good. now. So Whoa. we have this like traditional, I'd say like until the 80s, or a, we had <laughs> this the classic 
um, commodity market until the 80s. There was no value add for anything. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Organic or fish. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. The DR comes yeah, in as the number one producer In the 80s, not that long ago. Number one, number one producer of organic and fair trade in the 80s. This is only 40 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Not you're that long. a premium of like 10, maybe maybe 10%, 15%. Yeah, yeah. And now, like Zorzel, um, um, Fika, Elsevier, and, and like Oko. Yeah, thank you. We're getting like a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. For the craft. When and you like, say a little bit more, two to three times the market price. Yes. Yeah, that's right? more than a little bit. I would that's say, more than I would a little bit. So it's paying off so to take with that risk here. to be in that niche market, exactly. but develop it and take the like the pain in the beginning. Am, am I like, catching it's like on? He's reading your mind. This is this it's why. Like Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Finish it. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Exactly. But like yeah. it takes time, patience, and risk, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like we're we're super, we we have the risk, and the other producers like the Cocomilli guys, Esmer, all the guys taking risk. We're getting two X, and now you guys with this, and it's gonna take more time. But we're looking at what? What were we just talking about? Ten X. Ten X. Yeah. So everybody, don't go out and start buying. No, no, yeah. Hawaii. <laughs> I guess the point is, it's I don't so know what it's, it's we, we get no, no, development, is, yeah. and I think that it will be, it's a super exciting time. We I get a people, lot of people yeah. asking us for Hawaiian cocoa. Like, people write us all the time, like, hey, do you have cacao, dried cacao seeds? And then we, we're like, well, we can link you up with someone, but just know that it's around $25 yeah. a kilo, yeah, yeah. and it's just like radio silence, because the math doesn't work anymore, and everyone yeah. thinks that, so, okay. But the math does work. But, well, hold on. Can I just depends math? on your Can business model for just a second. Are you so, good like, at math? <laughs> um, Dandelion's so, tanking. We're, we're going to buy, folks. <laughs> hey, slow down there, big guy. Yeah. I hope not. Um, no, uh, you're screwed. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so our bars are about nine dollars. Of that $9. No, well, Zorzel's 12 we, Why is Zorzel 12 and everybody else says Coco Camille's 9 <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Anyways. The Zorzel estate is 12 Um. Anyway, uh, about $9. Uh, the Coco in there is that's, that's what 45 cents. Right? So, you know, like, because it's a 6 gram bar, the, the like, our average price comes out to about 45 cents. Wow, our math is so similar. Yeah. But... But here's the thing. We so, must be paying so, the same price. So that's, for, that's when our average price is about $7,000 a ton. So let's say we go up to, I'm just going to make my math super easy, $28,000 a ton. Because $28,000 a ton is really easy. That's four times. So even if you go to that, $0.45 cents transforms $2. into $1.80. It's not like suddenly the bar... Is going to cost you seven dollars more to make. Now now we're going into the details, but it's around a dollar fifty of just bean cost when we do our whole. But that's okay. You can do that. That's That's what I'm saying. Is that like? Is that like because the driving factor for the cost is your labor? This is a really important lesson learned: is increase the cocoa prices. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really no. Actually, increase your volume and like automate (laughs) because that's where the majority of our savings can be. And that's the majority of the cost in producing a chocolate bar. Automate volume. That's Carson. Automate volume. That's Carson. He makes all of this. Carson's the best. We love Carson. Dude, he did a Kickstarter video. We have for our tours that Manoa's going to actually do their first tour in 2021. We're super excited for Second. this. Mm-hmm. Carson went. No, you, you guys are doing a whole tour. Like oh, he, this, is, this is him strong arming you. This is the strong arm. This is how this is strong arming. It's not strong arming. It's strong arming. It's strong arming. The clients are going to amazing. Oh, I benefit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you haven't benefited from the Zorzal trip. Okay, fine. We've benefited a little bit. 
Sounds like um, a good time. It is. I forget what my point was. So well, you remember the crap hunting? Didn't we go oh, crap hunting? Oh, no, no, we built out um, uh, a, a new bathroom. Entry. And a bathroom with the Kickstarter money and uh, a, a loft. And um, this is, it sounds bathroom loft. Doesn't sound very like <laughs> sexy. Loft sounds good. Bathroom loft is good. Hey, if you've been in the Dominican Republic, your new bathroom, bathroom is pretty important. solid. Yeah, yeah, nice bathroom um, in the DR. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, wait. Anyway, so the thing that we were getting to though, that I think is actually really important, is is and and I and I really appreciate this point is like you're constantly pushing the boundaries of what pricing can be on cocoa and and like it's important to push those boundaries and one of the great things is Hawaii is pushing those boundaries right now as is Taiwan we're flirting with what wine has done yeah but a long time ago so we're now beginning to see the fact that you can have a twelve dollar chocolate bar and sell out of it yep. there's never been a point in history where you can do that except for now. Yeah, and so our timing is really good. And this is why 2010 was special is it never really worked before that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The market yeah. wasn't quite ready. Right. So you entered at a perfect time to actually. Yeah. I really it. did. I mean, half, we all just hard, have to like but, last but, half, but, half, but, half, but, half but it is important to say it is important is to say opportunistic. it's not just that like people are like, I guess fine. $10 it is. It's that, that the chocolate got better. <laughs> the cocoa got better. Yes. The, the, the cocoa producers got paid more. There's a bunch of things that changed. The communication was also much better. So I want to talk about sustainability of the I industry. I would rather not. No, because I think it's important with, <laughs> with what happened in 2020 with COVID. I'm actually impressed. So first, I was extremely nervous. So we all sales, were. sales we all were. went down 20%. We actually ended up okay because we did more um, smaller volume, yeah. higher margin price, uh, uh, sales. And, and I've heard a lot of people did that. And, that, that, like a lot of people collapse. bought like smaller it did collapse because I was yeah. nervous that such a um, emerging industry would really feel the impact and I think most people were flat or dipped and like some people might have gone out no some like, people went periods. I've talked to a lot of people that went up in 2020 right did, amazing I'm just did you guys go up in 2020 no, no, no it went we slightly down I'm not trying to make other people feel bad oh okay I don't catch up on it okay so yeah so did better or flat and like even with Coco we actually did you know so I'm, I'm, uh, at first, I was extremely nervous because there was canceled orders, but I, I got, I'm actually uh, um, optimistic yeah. about the future of it. It was amazing to show the resiliency and the yeah. fact that our market stuck around market. in such a small market. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, the fact that we almost flatlined, like we were, we had such a busy November yeah. and December because of online and, and retail yeah. did yeah, open same. back up, yeah. but most of the year was terrible for us. Yeah. And we still managed to do okay. But I think that speaks to the resilience of the industry itself and, the, and how we did. So it's not, you're not seeing VC money coming in and overbloating something and yeah, hoping yeah, yeah. on like big yeah, margins. Yeah, it's stable. It's everything, pretty much the majority yeah, of chocolate yeah. makers and cocoa producers are, are brick are, by are, brick. Yeah, they're, they're do, sort of steady growth. When you yeah, do yeah, brick by fair. brick, you can, you can weather some of that storm. Yeah, yeah that's totally um, fair. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, and that's and that is what I've heard from a lot of people from 2020 is okay. that like they, they weathered the storm. I I don't I don't actually I don't know of any chocolate maker that actually closed in 2020 due to COVID. Like not a one. I expected a lot to close. I did too. Not a one that I know of. Right. In fact, sometimes, as you said, they thrived. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you expect now for this yeah. year? I mean, you guys are doing. You must be doing some projections. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to process way more than you need. Yeah. So what are you looking at 
Yeah, I mean, I, I got to say, Zorzel is um, not to hang my hat. We didn't lay off anybody, and we didn't cancel any orders with farmers. So we're very proud about that last yeah, year. Yeah, um, we had some orders canceled on us, but we, what we do is when we negotiate with farmers, we buy like 50 to 60% of the expected volume and then do like um, at the moment market value. Because if we commit too What's much and can't deliver, yeah, yeah, you gotta because, because on, on the sales value. side, not no offense, craft chocolate makers are bad planners. So How what, what dare I'm, you? What I'm saying, when you want, agree. what I'm saying, when you want 2021, they say, right. oh, between five and 25 tons. <laughs> I take that and say, let me commit to 10 now, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like you know, um, I think. Um, for 2021, Partially true, very we're very actually true. looking at some good growth because I think people cash is king. So people did not yeah. want to commit to buying beans, but now they're short. So by that's in fact exactly so where deadline is I, in 2021. I think, I think um, we 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 like bought less in 2020, which means in 2021 we're going to be buying a lot more. What do you guys generally sit on? We we general so our goal is by the end of a year. We have enough beans to take us through the whole next year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, you're like the only company. That no, I know. We're one that. of the few that does that. But the reason we do that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do that. Well, it's um, the only thing that you need to keep doing, like going. If you run out of beans, you're you're in a lot of trouble. Oh, my savior. Oh, we're in a red now. Oh. Um, but, um, Thank you. But, no, no, no. And, and so, but we didn't do that for 2020. So we're ending, we ended 2020 with... Enough beans to get us through about half of 2021. So we're going to be buying about one and a half times the number of beans we normally buy in a year in 2021. And you're because you're assuming growth as well. We're both assuming growth, but we have to like make up for the shortfall. So our goal is to end 2021 okay, so with enough beans to get exactly us through 2021. What you're talking about is planning. Twofold. Yeah, we, yeah. we do a lot of planning. planning. You're getting Craft better planning. are brutal planners. I'm like... They're getting better by like a week. Like I go so, day by day. So I think terrible. The, the short and then um, diversifying. So we sold the Europe for the first time. Zotter chocolate um, in Europe. and like Zotter's bar is so really we, good too. We did, we did two containers there. That was huge. So like COVID, while definitely impacted our bottom line, forced us to be creative. Yeah, and like looking for other avenues. Yeah, it opened um, more doors. It opened our eyes, right? I yeah. mean, for us, we expanded into online in a way that we never thought was possible that quickly. Same. And it became the dominant part of our business by the end of the year. It was right. just mind blowing. Uh, and exactly I ordered from both you guys, um, and Rocka. And we did such a better job else. of delivering. And and uh, Manoa killed it. <laughs> Dandelion was like, I think it was AOL.com. <laughs> And it was like, Ow. I had to send right. an email. Just so you know, so so you know Paul is watching this right that. now and crying in his room. No, because you're trying true. to mock me and Paul is crying in his room. Honestly, the, the both you guys, like, efficient, super efficient. I got my bars, like, within two days. And I wasn't even expecting before Christmas. Yeah. Awesome, well, we, awesome. We look up to them and try yeah. to copy them. No, it was really, really good. Um, I mean, so, so, so the person who runs all of our fulfillment is Jose. And he's, like... He is just a rock star. Does an amazing job. Everything gets out within about two days. Yeah. Um, usually one day, but sometimes two days. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, I've never seen anyone do like the level of fulfillment that he does. So I got a question for you guys. Another one. Ooh, keep it coming. And this is this is the honest transparency aspect. Mm. Zorzel cocoa mm-hmm. beans. I feel like after the COVID situation, like high end, but not. Pushing this like premium bar that yeah. does less sales, like feeding the great quality 
drinking chocolate, more volume uh. bars, inclusions, like dude, chocolate how chips does, how for does baking. Orzel, how does Orzel's um taste profile yeah. fit within like that? Is it more the bar at seventy percent? I want to go inclusion? first. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or is it like you guys need to work on this? And so just, one of the things yeah. we do is a single origin chocolate tasting with everyone who comes through the door. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's wonderful at the end of trying these like eight single origin 70% bars that everyone has a different opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Part. And it's no, it's not like much, one bar is the good bar. And it's exactly. like everybody likes a different one. We buy from, let's say like seven different places throughout Hawaii is throughout the world and it's not like one is the one that always wins. Right. Some people say I love the Zorzal. Some people I say I love the Dominican. So what, what, is, what is the Zorzal fl- uh, profile? It's Based more stars. base chocolate, more cocoa flavor. Yeah. You don't have the the dominant fruit notes. Right. Which is fine. No, and I That's think that like, actually that is a market niche. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we actually were looking for a more base chocolate flavor for some of our bars. Right. And so I love the, the Tanzania from Coco Camille because it is so different that people have never tasted anything quite like that. But the majority of the market actually wants more of a Zorzal like, uh, mm, yeah. flavor profile. Oh, like, I know this is just like, website. boom. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's going to have that video like on. But, but, but you know what I mean? Totally. So, people so, like base chocolate yeah. flavor. So, so what we, Zorzal has that. What so. we use Zorzal for, which I think is actually kind of a funny one, is um we so Den Lion has um operations in Japan and the US. And there's a separate factory in Japan than there is in the US. Zorzal is what the Japan factory decided they want all of their drinking chocolate, et cetera, to be. Because I can see why. I can exactly, see why. right? Like in tasting it, you're like, oh yeah, I can see this working. Because it yeah, sure. has great base chocolate. There's this little umaminess to it. There's a little bit of this sort of like and like and so um for for us, Orzal is what we use like enormously in Japan. Now, we would like to do more of it in the U.S. too, too. But like, we want to do a thing where like we that the Japan team had something that was kind of like uniquely theirs. So it wasn't just like everything was sold everywhere. Um, but so like the the Japan team loves Orzal, like uses Orzal Comunitario specifically very extensively um, in all the drinking chocolates and that be- has become their sort of signature flavor in the in the hot chocolate great there you, you go know. yeah try and keep up <laughs> all right so base chocolate yeah no i think um what a little bummy who what a little mommy yeah that was amazing what a little mommy <laughs> that was amazing <laughs> okay so i got i got one more question yeah, that i got to finish this off on all right what are the biggest opportunities that you see for the near future oh. and scaling? I think yes, Chuck. So, no, I think there's so many opportunities. I mm-hmm. think there is a shift in like um, society in how I work in in Forge in the U.S. Even like oil and gas people are looking at like climate change and how like they need to put a value on carbon, value of conservation, value of like terroir, and like in and so I I'm really excited for the future. Um, I think there's a big opportunity to scale cocoa and conservation. Considering that the cocoa belt, which is 20 degrees north latitude, 20 degrees south latitude of the equator, and that's where all the biodiversity hotspots are. Can you tie it into carbon? Oh, totally. That's where the carbon storage is in the tropical yeah, areas. Indonesia, um, Africa, Brazil. Caribbean, Brazil. Yeah. 
So if you look at this like benefits transfer on this cocoa belt of like conservation, carbon storage, biodiversity hotspots, and like cocoa, it's like there's an overlap. Huge there's opportunity. Like a, yeah, yeah, totally. And the fact that like companies are starting to get on, put oil and gas are putting value on carbon. Right. That so. I mean that alone. And they're not forced to. So I work in the compliance market in the U.S. in forest carbon offsets, and we won't talk a lot about that because it's a whole other episode. But we should do that. That was forced. Yeah, that's actually being really, <laughs> but, but it's on, really interesting stuff. The oil and gas yeah, stuff, really but that was like forced because it's California compliance. They said you had to. Now in the voluntary, this is saying, a teaser for that episode. They're so saying yeah, they're, this is the, the oil and gas are saying, and this is they've announced it. Shell, BP, they're saying we want to invest. Because there's an exit value of carbon. This is a BTU that's not going away. Like, like we need to acknowledge this. So I think cocoa and conservation is huge, huge opportunity. I think that um, craft chocolate will continue to be a little bit like the same pace, not like this hockey stick curve, but that there's opportunity there. And so I'm excited. Real, real quick, any idea of how many craft chocolate makers are out there now in the world? That's starting in the US. I have, I have a guess. It's like yeah, I, I'd imagine. So I, I, I would say I would say the US. So do you know who actually knows how many craft chocolate makers are Lorenzo. out there? Bavani from Diamond right. Custom Machines because he, he sells would. the Premier Wonder Grinders. Yeah, and so like that's what a Which lot is of people one of the are using. Next episodes we need to do. Oh man, you can totally talk to him. Oh, that'd be yeah. super cool. Um, I've heard three to four hundred hmm. in, in the US. US. Yeah. So worldwide, you're probably talking about a thousand. It's just huge. There's a lot. Yeah. It's not I mean, that like it's, it's not that not five, that small. So, so just decent size. That's exactly just yeah. to kind of like our yeah. mission, and we probably should have started out with this. But do you did. have a mission? Well, I mean, we totally do. Start. Oh, do. What is your our mission? mission is <laughs> What's your mission? As long as you know what you're going to do, conserve biodiversity <laughs> hotspots. So when he he asked me a question, oh, that's his mission about Which ties like into biggest what, what's the opportunity? Yeah. That's where I see this like growth in this political shift. The cacao belts, the conservation area, and like getting more conservation out there, yeah. which is different than maybe a little bit of the, the chocolate. Like, so, so where do you see yourself in five years as far as yeah. scale? I, I, Hawaii. I mean, I imagine he sees himself <laughs> in Hawaii. Again. I feel like, um, I sure hope so. In five years, honestly, we're going to have multiple Zorzel models, not called Zorzel, but throughout the cocoa belt. Um, I feel like finally we've had that shift where investment and financing is going to be geared towards that. It's not because the people want to do good, because they like actually has the ecosystem has value. They're gonna invest in that. And so I'm excited about that. So it's an additional income stream for starting agroforestry models. Yeah, like beyond additional. It's no longer this little piece. Yeah. And, and then it's like selling it's like the big money's coming product in. of like BP's carbon uh, offsetting is cocoa. Yeah. I mean Right now, a metric ton of carbon is valued in the compliance market like $12. BP has come out in Shell. They think it's going to be 180 or $100 in 10 years. We're doing 10x value. So everyone's so like, going to be chasing, trying yeah. to invest in carbon, which is a good thing. Like, which that's is, what we want. And chocolate fits in there. And yeah, like, all exactly. these good businesses are doing great things. So Right, because craft chocolate doesn't deforest it's really agroforestry models there's not one craft chocolate bar i've ever seen that supports like a deforestation remotely you probably know more you know 95 percent. i mean you're gonna pick one or two but because like the guys like you who are the leaders of the industry go to origin you know who you're working with and you guys are getting to scale okay you're not like this little you know 
you like it's replicable. Yeah, I agree. So. I agree. Well, Dylan, cheers to that. Yeah. It's been a wonderful episode. Thank wonderful. you so much for thank you, thank you Dylan, for this amazing place. Thank you, Manoa. Thank you, Dandelion Chocolate. Thank you. Oh, Tim! Oh my God, it's Danny! It's Danny! It's Danny! <laughs> and Carson behind. Carson, get over here, Carson! Oh, guest appearance! Yeah, guest appearance Carson. by Carson. Yes. Until next time, we'll see you on Graph Chocolate. Save TV. the forest. Cheers. <laughs> Aloha. Hi guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate if you subscribe and give a review. This helps other chocolate lovers like yourself discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day.